Well, I do have a message to share this morning, so take your Bibles and turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. Uh, we're still in Philippians chapter 4. This is, I think, the fifth message we've been in, in so far. Um, I've entitled this message today, Peace, Another Name for Contentment. And we're looking at verses, uh, chapter 4, verses 10 through 14. Um, so why don't we stand together, we're going to read that. Philippians 4, verses 10 through 14. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I've learned in whatever state I am, I am to be content. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound everywhere and in everything Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Father, thank you for your word today. Lord, bless and anoint this message. Help me to preach it the way you want, Lord, and let it bring hope and life and encouragement to the body of Christ now here, as well as on live stream, and later through the various videos and podcasts and so forth as people find it somewhere online. Bless this time. May your Holy Spirit, Lord, come now and take the words you put on my heart. Help me to share them powerfully and, and compassionately. Let it bring life to the church. Let it glorify yourself as we proclaim your word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Well, I'm calling this a series now. You may be seated. And I'm calling this a series now on, on peace. Um, the first message was from the first part of chapter 4, peace in the church, then lasting peace, then two message, messages on at what price peace. And uh, today the, the title is Peace, Another Name for Contentment. And so I want to talk about this again this morning. Uh, the word peace I find an interesting word. I didn't realize this, but it has its roots in Genesis 43. We won't go there, but when I tell you where it comes from, you'll, you'll probably remember. But the setting is Joseph is meeting his brothers. Remember, they were estranged. They left him, and many, many years went by, and Joseph was now a leader in Egypt, and they, the brothers came for food, and they didn't know it was him, but they, he knew it was them. And in that setting, he said to them, how is your well-being? How are you doing? Um, are you all at peace? And then he said, how is your father doing? Is he at peace? And that same word used there, Jesus used in John 20, verse 21, after the resurrection, before the ascension, when he met with the apostles, he said, peace be with you. I think the Hebrew word would be shalom alechem, peace be with you. So the word we're talking about in Hebrew is the word shalom. And after studying it, I, you know, I have this uh, Hebrew-Greek uh, Bible that gives me all the words in the original language. Every word has like a little space for information. The word shalom had like 
a whole column of what it meant. It was, it's a lot, of, a lot of words to describe what shalom is. But basically, shalom means peace, health, security, well-being, tranquility, and contentment. And so when you hear Hebrews, the Jewish people say shalom, there, it's more than just peace. It's like something deeper and lasting in your heart, on your being, even in your body. So as we were preaching on this topic of peace, I realized uh, we've been preaching on the concept of shalom. So let me go back to those titles of the sermons. Uh, may there be shalom in the church. May there be well-being in the church. May there be uh, lasting shalom in our lives, lasting peace and well-being in our lives. At what price shalom? Well, at what price? We talked about the cross and, and new way of thinking and being obedient to the word of God. I, I like singing the old hymn that kind of captures the essence of what we're talking about. It says, when peace like a river attendeth my way. Anyone know the song? And when, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. And so we're, we're talking about shalom. And I realize even in my life, and I, I assume in everybody's life, what we're talking about is like, like counterculture. There's no real peace in the world. But the Lord has promised us peace in our hearts as we serve him. I personally find it a challenge to stay in that covering of God's peace and God's covering. I'll tell you right off the bat, Prayer really helps every day. Worship really helps every day. Reading the word really helps every day. But even then, it's a challenge because things happen, especially when you're driving in New England. Can I get an amen? amen. Things happen all the time on the road. <laughs> so keep in mind, as Paul was writing this, uh, if you want to look back in chapter 3, um, he already had listed his credentials. He was saying, like, if anyone had a reason to boast, I, I have all the reason in the world to boast. Uh, verses 4 through 7 in chapter 3. Um, I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm of, of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. I'm a Pharisee. I'm zealous. I persecuted the church. He says, I gave up all of that stuff, all those worldly things that I might gain Christ. I gave up wealth and education and prestige and accomplishments that I may find shalom with God. I like that. There's something involved in letting go of some things in our mind and in our heart. I know we're in this life. I would just encourage everyone to carry whatever you have kind of loosely. It's, it's here today and basically gone tomorrow. But give up, give up things for God and we will experience the shalom of God. Philippians 4, 10 through 14, I think that this merges two concepts. It merges spirituality and the human experience. And the two are absolutely, essentially linked together, and they must be, but it merges God's, uh, it merges a love for God and a love for people. And when we have a shalom uh, with God, when we're at peace with God, we really do have a peace, a shalom with one another. Although there's a little bit of a space there in Romans chapter 12, Paul says, you know what, as far as it depends on you, you live at peace with all men. 
So in other words, you might be, but someone else may have something against you, and you can't make peace if they're not willing to have peace. But as far as you're concerned, you live at peace with one another. So I want to go through verses 10 through 14, then I want to give you uh, three topics to think about peace, another name for contentment, and then we're going to go eat hamburgers and hot dogs. Can I get an amen? (laughs) All right, so verse number 10. He says, um, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. Now, not every translation has the word but right there. Um, It could be translated more like now then or or now this is this is what I'm I'm moving on to. But coming out of verses eight and nine, those verses were all about Paul speaking to the church. You know, you think on these things. You, whatever you learn from me, you apply them to your lives. In verse number 10, he's saying, now I'm going to give you what I'm thinking. What I'm thinking is, I'm rejoicing over you. I'm joyful, I'm happy in the Lord, because basically, verse number 10, the Philippian church now has been able to demonstrate their love and their care for Paul. And he's grateful. If you look back uh, chapter 225, we have that little part about our friend uh, Epaphroditus. I said it right. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Epaphroditus, who was a messenger. In chapter 4, uh, verses, uh, verse 18, uh, Epaphroditus was sent from the Philippian church to visit Paul in Rome, in prison where he is. And then Paul sent him back again uh, for various reasons. But uh, Paul is saying in verse number 10, I- I'm rejoicing because you were able to show your love and your concern for me. Um, they came to see Paul with a gift, it says in verse 18. And, and then Paul sent uh, Epaphroditus back. So this is a healthy exchange of you came to bless me and minister to me. In verse number 10, Paul saying, thank you. I'm rejoicing in you. You've done a great job. And not that you didn't want to do it before, but you didn't have opportunity to do it. But now you had the opportunity and you seized the moment. And uh, Paul is thankful and he's rejoicing over that. I think it's a very healthy way to look at things. But verse number 11 uh, really says something that makes, in my mind, makes verse number 10 kind of shine a little bit brighter. Because what he's saying in verse number 11 is basically, uh, I, I don't, I'm not speaking in regard to need. I've learned how to be content in whatever I have. In other words, he's saying, you blessed me by what you gave me, but in, in reality, I didn't even need it. But I, bless, I, I, I honor the fact that you blessed me anyway. I find this pretty interesting. He says, uh, look at verse number 17 and 18, chapter 4. Not that I seek the gift, I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. I mean, the gift is great, thank you, but what's more important than the gift is your heart of giving, your heart of connection with me. Verse number 18 says, uh, uh, I'm full, I, I receive from Epaphrodites the things you sent. And then he he describes what it is, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. We don't know what the gift was, but what he's saying was, whatever it was, it was was healthy, good, wholesome. It showed me what your heart, what was in your heart. And for Paul, that was more important than the actual gift itself. So uh, he was thankful for the fellowship is this speaking to anybody yet? This should be speaking to somebody right now. Because you, you see, you can give things 
and, and, oh well, you gave things. Or you can give things with a heart. People will receive the gift and be thankful for the gift. But when they know your heart is in it, it's even better than the gift. And the opposite is true too. They may receive the gift, but they, they may know, realize their heart's not in this. They're just doing this for whatever. But verse number 11, I think, is interesting. I, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Paul learned how to do this. He learned how to find contentment, how to find shalom in the midst of his circumstances. Remember, he's in prison finding shalom. Verse number 12, it says, I, I know how, or I learned how to be abased. I'm reading from New King James Version. I, I, I've learned how to be abased. In other words, I've learned how to live humbly with little materially. Remember from chapter 3, he was coming from a pretty prestigious background. He gave it all up that he would follow Christ and gain Christ. But I've learned how to be abased, live in need without much and I've learned how to abound. I've learned how to live in prosperity and blessing and provision. Either way, he says, either way, I've learned to find shalom in my experiences. Good word right there, isn't it? I would I say right here, if you're taking notes, this would be the Romans 5, James 1 principle at work. Romans 5 says... Um, uh, know that your tribulations produce perseverance, and perseverance produces character, character produces hope. James 1 says, consider it all joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, and patience will produce maturity. So Paul is saying in chapter, uh, chapter 4, verse 12, uh, I've learned to be full I've, or learned to be hungry physically, emotionally. I've learned to abound or to suffer need. Uh, it doesn't really matter. I've just learned to be content in all things. What a great word for today. What a great word for America. Can I get an amen? amen. Everyone wants to one-up everybody, get a little bit more, you know. But I'm, what Paul is saying, I, I'm in jail right now. <laughs> And you gave me a gift, and I'm thankful. I really appreciate more your heart behind it. I don't even need anything up here. Although I find it interesting to Timothy, in 2 Timothy 4, he told Timothy before this, um, he said, hey, Timothy, when you come see me, get my cloak. Bring my cloak. Bring my books and the parchments. I have need of them. So he did need some things, but he didn't need whatever they gave him, the, the Philippians, but he appreciated their heart of generosity and their heart of caring for him. So then uh, verse number 13, uh, he, he, great, who doesn't know this verse? Verse number 13, I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. Now we apply that to a lot of different things. I remember back in the day, Philip, you may appreciate this. Evander Holyfield's fighting Mike Tyson back in the day. He's on, on, his, on his robe. He's got Philippians 4.13. All the Christians saying, yeah, he's a Christian. He could beat Mike Tyson. Well, he, he did, but that's not really the context of the scripture. What he's saying is, I, I, I can do all things no matter where I am. I've learned to be up and down, and I'm content where I am. I can live humbly. I can live in prosperity. I could live in this prison under house arrest. I could deal with the uncertainty of my life. I, he said in chapter 1, I don't know if I'm going to live or die. 
But he was okay with that. I, I, I have a court date coming up. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't even know if I'm going to see you Philippians again. And I don't know if I'm going to get to Spain like I wanted to. But I'm content. I can handle it. Why? Because shalom is in my heart. You know, shalom is in my life. Uh, whatever life throws at me, Paul said, whatever life, whatever happens in life, I can do the, everything through Christ who strengthens me. It's not our own strength, church. It never will be. It never was and never will be. What a verse this is, verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Can I just remind you that Jesus Christ is alive? Because he's alive, he walks with us. He said he'll never leave you nor forsake you. He's with us every single day. He's even with us when we fall down and fail him. He's even with us when we have a lack of faith or a lapse in faith. He's with us through thick and thin. He walks with us. He strengthens us. He helps us. He forgives us. He directs our steps. He's alive today. We could preach Resurrection Sunday sermons all year round, really. But how can Paul, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Because Jesus Christ is alive. And let me encourage you, keep Jesus Christ alive in your hearts. Life is tough. Life is hard. Things happen. But Jesus Christ is here to help us through. And we can stay with Paul. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can get through this difficult time in my life. I can get through this hardship with my family or whatever. I can get through this financial crunch or whatever's going on. I can do this through Christ because he strengthens me. That's what Paul is saying. Keep in mind now, keep in, get the picture. Chapter 3, he gave up all his credentials, all his stuff. He gave it up to gain Christ. And look where it got him. It got him in, in a prison in Rome. Some people say, come to Jesus, everything's going to be a piece of cake. Well, you may have a piece of cake in some prison somewhere, maybe, I don't know, but it's not going to be an easy road. It can't be. We're, we're living for God in a culture that is against God. How do we do that? Through Christ. That's the only way we can do that. So then, then verse number 14, he kind of wraps up this little section. He, he brings it back. He goes, nevertheless... In other words, my little thought there, he's saying, you know what, forget about me now. I just gave you a little bit of me. I'm going to talk about you again, you Philippians. You've done well that you shared in my distress. What a great heart Paul had, you know. I really appreciate that. Nevertheless, anyway, back to you. You did well in sharing in my distresses and sharing with my hardships. Sometimes when I said, this, is, this merges the spiritual with the human. Paul's a spiritual man. Amen? You know that. He's like one of the most spiritual people around. But what he's saying is, I needed people in my life. The gift, all right, whatever. But I needed people in my life. This is merging the spiritual with humanity. And can I say that you know, any, any church that's doing anything has both a spirituality about it and a humanitarian effort behind it as well. The church is always about people. I read a great thing this morning. Someone posted a little blurb about uh, Jim Cimbala, the pastor of Brooklyn Tabernacle. I'll give it to you real quickly. Brooklyn Tabernacle is a huge church in New York, but he was, a while ago, he, he said, I preached my message 
People are at the altar. It's like 4,000 4, people church, you know, big church, big ministry. He did his thing. He preached. He had his notes and his points and everything. And all his team was up here, you know, praying with people. And he just kind of sat down on the, on the platform for a little while just to kind of catch his breath. Everyone, some, some people were leaving and some people were praying. And, and there was a guy sitting in the, somewhere in the front staring at him. And uh, Jim Simler says, I, I noticed this guy. He, he looked like he, he, he was, he, obviously he was homeless. He looked terrible. Uh, I don't know. He just looked like a mess. And he's sitting there saying, you know what? I, I would normally go up to him and talk to him, but today I'm just going to let it go. Let, let maybe someone else could minister to, to him. Anyway, most of the people left. And um, the man is zeroing in on Jim Simbola. And the man comes up to him, and now he's dressed in rags. And, and he got closer, and the man actually smelled. He said, I couldn't even stand next to him because he smelled so bad. Uh, he's thinking to himself, he says, okay, this guy wants money. So he said, I always keep some money in my, in my pocket. So I, I was fishing around for some money. I was just going to give him some money and say, you know, have a good day. And so he's standing there with this man, and uh, he reaches in and says, here, here's some money, you know, go get some food or whatever. And the man says to Jim Simbola, I don't want your money. And he's taken aback. And the man says, I want Jesus. I want the man you were talking about. And Jim, Jim Simbola, great man of God, he's sharing this story. He broke down and cried real tears. And he and that guy hugged each other embraced each other. And I don't know what happened that day, but that man came around the church. He went through a detox. He was, he was a terrible alcoholic, addicted. Went through a detox, went to a rehab. Sooner or later, about a year later, he, he was going to the church every week. A year later, he stood in that same church and gave a testimony that Jesus Christ saved his life. And now he's in, in some type of a ministry that Brooklyn Tabernacle, Brooklyn Tabernacle planted in New Jersey. So the man is now a minister of the gospel. And so when we do all that we do, if we forget about the one person that's sitting here in trouble, we may think we'll just give him a gift of something. Well, you know what? The greatest gift is tell him about Jesus Christ. And, and, but see, it's the spiritual and the human merging together, like one person said, when that happens, it more often than not gets ugly. Because people respond. And you ever work with people, you know, people coming out of addictions and stuff, sometimes it gets ugly. It gets difficult because, hey, there's, there's demons involved. There's flesh involved. But our calling is to minister God's love to people, to love them spiritually and to love them with a human touch as well. All right, so I want to I give you three things are the hot dogs cooking yet? I told them to start cooking about 11.15, so they're probably cooking. Now, this won't take too long, I don't think, but I always say that. Three things to consider to, to find your shalom with God. Now, you have to bear with me, number one, because you might think, wait a minute, but here it is. First thing to consider is your good works. You have to admit, verses 10 and 14, the Philippian church did good works. In verse 16, 
It says, uh, Paul said, even, uh, even when I was in Thessalon- Thessalonia, you sent aid to me once and again. You're a giving church. Uh, 4.18, Epaphroditus, same thing. You, you, you give, you give. They help Paul realize the peace of God in his situation. It's like one time I was sick. I don't, I don't, thank the Lord, I don't get sick very often, but one time I was sick and I got all these cards from people in the church to get better. It blessed me to think that people were thinking of me. I'm glad you didn't see me. You would have thought I was dead, but I'm glad that people were thinking of me. The spiritual need and the human touch are sometimes intermingled together. It's good to know that somebody cares. So Paul was blessed and encouraged and hopeful that this church did good works and reached out and helped them. He saw the hand of God at work through the church. And Jesus even said one time, and he was teaching Matthew 25, I think it is, said, you give water, you give clothes to somebody, you visit someone in prison, someone that's sick, it's like you're doing it to me. Reach out and bless other people. So if we want to have that shalom, we need to have good works in our lives. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, it says, by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of works, lest anyone should boast. It's a free gift of God. And then he says, for you have been created for good works that God has prepared beforehand that you would glorify God and, and what you do. We, we, our good works won't save us, but our good works will keep us close to God and be used by God to help other people. You could, for instance, you could buy someone a food basket or a gift card or give somebody a ride or give somebody money or clothes or shoes or spend time together. But there's another aspect of the good works thing I want to bring out today. Acts 20, 35. We won't turn. I'm trying to speed up just a little bit. But in Acts 20, 35, Paul is leaving the church of Ephesus going on his journey. And he says in that verse, he goes... I've shown you by the fact that I worked with my own hands to provide for myself. I've shown you that uh, you must support the, the, the weak. And then he quotes Jesus. Jesus said, it's better to give than it is to receive. So when I say, if you want to find shalom, the peace of God, be a giving person. Do good works in verse 10 and verse 14. But the question is, who got the greater blessing? Paul or the church? Paul didn't even need what they had. But I think that the church was blessed because it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. So uh, we can do our good works by getting our, giving our offerings to support those missionaries over there, which is above and beyond our tithing to the church. And in doing so, we're joining in the Great Commission to go into all the world to preach this gospel. The good works will never save us, but our good works will demonstrate that we belong to God who saved us. Let me put it this way, as someone read one time, if we don't do good works for the Lord, who's going to do them? In the process of doing good works, that person is blessed, but we're blessed even more because we're entering in to the labors of the Lord. Amen? Here's number two. If we want this shalom of God. It says in verse number 11 that Paul learned, I have learned in whatever state I am to be content in all things. Last week I was was sharing from verse number nine. 
And I raised the question, have, have you learned anything? Paul's saying, whatever you learn from me, apply it to your lives. Whatever you've seen in me, apply it to your lives. So I raised the question, have you learned anything? Well, here at verse 11, Paul says, I have learned to be content in all things. You know why? Being content does not come naturally for anybody. Everyone's a little restless. Anyone wants more or wants different. But it's a learning experience. And many of us learn these things through the school of hard knocks. But two things to think about. 2 Timothy 2.15. To know, learn the word of God. Study to show yourself approved by God. A workman who rightly divides the word of truth. Learn the word of God. Get it into your mind, into your spirit, into your heart, and apply the word of God to your lives. But another one, I want to go over to Hebrews chapter 5. You could turn there with me. Hebrews 5, verses 5 through 9. It says this. So also Christ did not glorify himself to become a high priest, But it was he who said to him, it was the father who said to him, you are my son, I have begotten you. You're a great priest, you're a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So Christ, who in the days of his flesh, listen to this, in the days of his flesh, he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. Though he was a son, yet Jesus learned obedience by the things that he suffered. So the question for us is, are we learning things from the word of God, like Paul says, study? Are we learning things from our experiences in life that could bring us closer to God? Jesus, I, you know, verse Hebrews 5, 7 would, would cry and, and cry out to his father to save him from this death he was about to face, but he learned obedience through the things that he suffered. Can we not do the same in our lives? Learn obedience from the things that we suffered. Hebrews 12.2 says that, uh, for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross and despised the shame and now has sat down at the right hand of the father. So have we learned anything? Are you learning anything when, oh, for instance, last, this past Friday, this poor guy pulled in the parking lot at like 2 o'clock in the morning. I didn't see him that early, but I saw him earlier in the, earlier in the, later in the morning. He had a flat tire in his car. And the jack that he had didn't fit this underneath. He couldn't, get, he couldn't jack up the car. He had the spare. He couldn't jack up the car. The poor guy was here for three hours trying to change that tire. Anyone ever been in that situation? I've been in a similar situation before. But what is God trying to show us through these hassles of life? I think if we could get alone with God, pray about it, see what God is trying to teach us through these things. How about patience? How about trust? How about just, you know, doing the best we can do with what we have? So if we want this shalom of God... Yeah, we've got to do good works, but we also have to learn from our life experiences, you know, what, what is God saying to us through all this? The, first, the last one is, is dependence. Uh, verse number 13, Hebrews 4, 13. I can do all things through Christ uh, who strengthens me. We sang it earlier, you know. 
more than the air I breathe. I need you, Lord, more than anything. I, I need you more than anything in life. And if I could just take maybe five minutes right here. Genesis 2, 27 reminds us that when God created man, he breathed life into his nostrils. And that, that being became a living being. We can't live without the breath of God. Psalm 127 says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, uh, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord guards the city, the guards uh, keep watch in vain. We can't do anything without God's presence with us. John 15 says that we're the branches and he's the vine. We can't do anything unless we abide in the vine. And so I want to encourage everyone to... Um, Keep your relationship with the Lord pure and holy. We used to sing a song called Breathe. This is the air I breathe. Your holy presence living in me. This is my daily bread. Your living word spoken to me. And I'm desperate for you. Are you desperate for God? I heard a great message. Uh, I think it was Thursday night. From, uh, from Baton Rouge, Louisiana, the Sun Life Ministry, the youth group, actually. This young man was preaching his heart out. I looked him up online. I found out he went to North Point, graduated from North Point a few years ago. He was preaching about being desperate for God. He was giving a history of the church, how through all the ages, there's always been a crying out for God. And he was saying to these young people, are you desperate for God? And I would say to the church here in Haverhill, are, are we desperate for God? Are we, we, we willing to go the extra step to reach out to God? Do we need him more than anything else? Do we need him more than air? Do we need him more than a fish needs water? Yeah, we do. Without his touch, we are up the creek. We need his touch. We need his touch. Hebrews 4, 6, I'm just going to wrap this up. Hebrews 4, 6 says, Draw near with confidence to the throne of grace to receive mercy and help in your time of need. Can I tell you something? Don't go to the, don't go to music. Don't go to your secular entertainment. Don't go to some friend or definitely don't go to alcohol or drugs or anything. Go to God. Are you that desperate? You'll run after God regardless of what's going on in your life. I, I would say go to God first. I mean, I believe in counseling, but the Holy Ghost is the greatest counselor I, I ever knew. Luke 137 says nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. I've got some testimonies. I don't want to share them right now. Praying for my kids and my grandkids. There are things happening behind the scenes. I'm so thankful God is moving. Because sometimes it seems so bleak and dark. I don't know what God is doing. But every now and then I see an answer to a, to a prayer. I say, thank you, Lord, for doing that. I'm desperate for God to move. Romans 7, 14. I'm going to read this from the message translation. Romans 7, 14, it says this. This is going to take a minute. I can anticipate the response that is coming. I know that all God's commands are spiritual, but I'm not spiritual. Isn't this also your experience? Yes, I'm full of myself. After all, I spent a long time in sin's prison. What I don't understand about myself is that I decide one way and then I act another. 
doing things I absolutely despise. So if I can't be trusted to figure out what is best for myself and then do it, it becomes obvious that God's command is necessary. But I need something more. If I know the law but still can't keep it, and if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time. It happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Parts of me covertly rebel. And just when I least expect it, they take charge. I've tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? The answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind, but I'm pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. The last two verses in the King James Version say, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, my Lord. That's why Paul can say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can't do it on my own, but through Christ, he strengthens me. That analogy, who will save me from this body of death? You may have heard this in that culture. They would literally take a criminal person and tie a dead body onto that person's back. And they'd have to walk around with a dead person tied on their back. And Paul's using that as an analogy. That's how I feel under the weight of sin. Who can free me from this? Who can deliver me from this burden that I carry? And he says, thanks be to God. Oh, wretched man, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, my Lord. So are you that desperate for God? I find in, in many Christians' lives, the, the initial bang with God is very powerful. There's a real strong salvation. And after a while, when we think we know everything, we kind of slack off of that a little bit. And those vices keep creep up on our back. And before we know it, we're weighted down with the sins of the world again. It's time to get back to the cross. It's time to renew our dependence on God. Amen. And keep in mind, I don't, I don't, I'm not a fatalist, but keep in mind, you know, no one knows what tomorrow is going to bring. It's better to get right with God now. We don't, know what to, we don't know what today will bring. I get reports all the time about people dying. It's incredible. People having cancer. People having all these terrible diseases. And the Lord is saying to me over and over again, be ready. You never know. I have a friend in New York. He contacted my brother. My brother contacted me. He's, friends, he's a Catholic. He's friends with the priest. I forget the priest's name right now, but... 56 years old. He, his alarm clock went off, 6 o'clock. Every day he got, got up 6 o'clock to go to a prayer meeting. Well, by 8 o'clock he didn't show up at the prayer meeting. 
So somebody went in to check on him in the, in the uh, rectory, and the man was dead flat on his back. He woke up, he turned off his alarm clock, and he died. 56 years old, just like that. And it's in their bulletin this Sunday. I don't know, I'm just saying, we never know what's going to happen. Let's get it right and stay right with God. So if you want this shalom, right, peace, another name for contentment, another name for shalom, we, we need to do good works. But I don't know, when I do good works, I may bless somebody, but you know what, I, 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 I am more blessed than they are blessed. That's the principle. I want to learn from my mistakes. I want to learn from the word of God. I want to learn from all the tension I feel in life and be a better person for it. I want to be at this point. Yeah, so 46 year anniversary tomorrow. Hallelujah. That means we've been saved for 46 years. We got saved a month and a half before we got married. 46 years, I can testify, I've been dependent on Jesus Christ. You know why? I know me. I can't live without God in my life. Forget about being a pastor. I just can't function without God in my life. Come on. Why don't we stand together? So, yeah, shalom, the peace of God. I remember when I was getting ready to move out of our first, where I was an assistant pastor, the, the pastor was asked what kind of a person I was as a reference. He tells this story, oh, Pastor Rick, He's a California guy. I said, what do you mean? He goes, oh, he's, he's got peace on him. Well, after 35 years of ministry, I don't know if I still have all that peace on me, but there is something in my heart. I have the peace of God in me. And, and we've been through a lot of things. Pamela and I have been through a lot. of 46 years is a lot, long time. But God has been faithful. And for those of you that are married or newly married or whatever, marriage works. When you put God in it, it works. We're, we could testify it works. So we're going to close by reading verses 12 and 13. It's up on the screen there. I want you to read it with some gusto. Verse number 12. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. One more time. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen. I know some of you just read that. You learned how to, deal, how to deal with being hungry, and that made you think, I'm hungry now for those hamburgers. So we're going to pray, and uh, we're going to go have a picnic. So everyone's invited to come and be a part of that today. Father, thank you so much for your word today. Lord, we love you. Thank you for making us have a way to experience shalom, peace, contentment in our life with you, in our life with people, our life in our heart, when we're all by ourselves, thank you for the shalom of God. Father, I pray for everyone that heard this message to, to take it to heart, to apply these things, and may this fellowship and may our, may our personal Christian uh, testimony be enriched by the idea that we have shalom, contentment with you and with one another. 
Lord, bless our food out there. Bless our fellowship. Thank you for the men and women that have prepared it. Bless them for their good works today. Let them feel good about it. Let us benefit from it, but let let us have a good time. Thank you for a good weather. And uh, bless our food for our good health and bless our fellowship. We thank you for all these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen and amen. Hallelujah.